On this episode of The Table of Content, Albert and I take a stroll with two poets and test the limits of preconceptions as we talk about the short story, Two Poets, written by We Are One Body Audio Theater volunteer and contributing author, Kelsey McIntyre. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Table of Content. Uh, I'm your host, Michael, and I'm joined with my co-host, Albert. How are you doing, Albert? Great. Glad to be here as always. Wonderful. And so today we're talking about the short story, Two Poets, written by one of the volunteer authors, Kelsey McIntyre. And so I know that you both you and I have, have read it, we've heard it, we've listened to it. And if you'd like to listen to the story before we get into our conversation, so as to not you know spoil it for you, please feel free to uh, visit the Audio Theater website and you can listen to it there. But other than that, why don't we just dive right into unpacking some of the elements of this story. So, Albert, was there anything that... Uh, initial takeaways or any points that resonated with you from the get-go? Well, I want to, I, I want to say this. Uh, there, there's a few versions kind of floating out there on the website. And uh, I had the, oh. oppor- I had the opportunity to uh, work on the multicast version, which uh, was Dennis Jers, Joe Potts and myself as a uh, bonus character, which we'll get into. Uh, and then I added some sound effects to it. So it was a lot of fun to sort of listen to it again because we recorded this uh, several years back and then to sort of bring it back and bring some life to it was, was a lot of fun. Uh, so my, my point was actually not so much the content, but just that, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed Dennis and I liked Joe a lot and uh, it was fun to sort of put this story together and uh, give it some extra life. That being said, I, I, I think I, I enjoy any story that sort of starts in, in nature, because that's what they're doing. They're taking a walk, Mr. Fitzsimmons and Mr. Uh, Witherwill. They're sort of taking this stroll and it's peaceful and sounds beautiful. And the reason it stuck out to me is because I'm always in search of some peaceful environment, some place to sort of release myself from my daily sort of woes, if you will. Uh, so I was like, oh, great, you know, a story in a forest on a trail and, you know, fresh air. So uh, uh, it, it's, it's, it's nothing really deep there, but uh, definitely enjoy a story uh, that starts off that way. Right. We have that sort of universal experience of, you know, I'm sure everyone has taken a pleasant stroll somewhere in a, a shaded wood or grove somewhere. And that is, it just captures that experience right away. It helps you enter right into it. And what a great name. When I first was reading the script, I actually haven't listened to your production, so I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to it soon. But Witherwill, what a great name. At first I thought, oh, like someone, you know, who has sort of like withered will, like weak willpower. That was my first thought. And then I thought, oh no, more, maybe it's more like Whither Will You Go? Like Witherwill, Mr. Witherwill. Right. That's such a great name. And then for the other poet, Fitzjames, Mr. Fitzjames. Oh, Fitzjames. I'm sorry. Yeah, I said Fitzsimmons. It's Fitzjames. So thank you for that correction. Oh, no problem. You know, 
The only reason I mentioned that is because the first thing that I, I thought of was pajamas afterwards because I'm very visual when I look at words and there's a similarity in the way the word looks if you skim over it quickly. It fits James pajamas, Mister Mr. Pajamas. I mean, Mr. <laughs> Fitzjames. Right, right, right. So, right. So the, we have these two men of the word, so to speak, and they poets, and they go through a stroll through a beautiful wood as they seek inspiration. And so, uh, yeah, that is, it's, it's really beautiful. It, and, and then what happens? Well, so it, it, it turns into this sort of, you know, mantra for nature and everything that's really wonderful. And, you know, uh, Mr. Witherwell is very sort of caught up in it all, right? From a very poetic standpoint. Mm. And just, you know, these beautiful monologues about everything that's reminded, you know, of him. And then Fitzjames, or Mr. Pajamas, whatever works for you, uh, <laughs> Fitzjames is, you know, sort of not quite as illustrious in his in his context. You know, it's like, well, yeah, it's nice, and it, you know, I think of you know simple things, and whether Wales just sort of disgusted with him, you know, like, ugh, you know, how how are you a poet? So that that's that's sort of the, the the first main section is you have two people who are sort of contradictory to each other the one really overly so really kind of critical and then the other who is like yeah well i mean this is this is what i think about you know and it it feels like something that we kind of experience right on a in our daily lives you know someone is really intent and it's like you should be experiencing this and then you're like well i i i don't and you i mean you you asked me what i felt you asked me what i thought you said what do you think about? I said, well, this is what I think about. And it seems it seems so interesting that in in a in a world where you know we're supposed to be, you know, putting our fists down and saying, I want my freedom. I want to be able to say what I want to say. I want to have my speech. I want all of my rights protected. And mm. oh, okay, all right, great. So so what so what do you have to say? Well, uh, I believe this. What? 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 What are you talking about? You're out of your mind. I was like, wait a second. This is my. I. I thought I could say what I wanted. Well, no, you can't. You have to say what I say. That'll be your your freedom. So you see that kind of playing back here between the two poets. It's like, you know, you should be seeing all the beauty that I see, and instead you see raspberry tarts. You know, that's in the story. You know, and it's like, but he he says it like, well, I think of raspberry tarts, and right. you know, and he's just uh, whatever. You don't get it. So I've never quite understood the concept of, well, it's my opinion. Why can't it be my opinion? And it's like we're not entitled to our opinion anymore. It's like mm. unless it matches the opposing party's opinion, then, mm. you know, it's completely out of the question. Like, well, then it's not it's not true freedom. This is not true freedom if we cannot truly express our opinions without being subjected to some sort of tyranny or bigotry or hatred or violence, as it were, you know, just because I express my own opinion, which is contrary to yours. Right. Or, or even condescension, like Witherwill is so condescending towards Fitzjames, you know, and I, I had that same thought, like here he is, Witherwill, 
seeking inspiration and reveling in sort of, or he says he's reveling in sort of this, um, the sensations that the stroll through the wood are evoking in him. And, and then when Fitz James actually sort of questions it about that, he's like, he says, Oh, I have thoughts too deep for words. And I thought to myself, <laughs> right. well, that's interesting because, you know, thoughts usually lead to words in one form or another. And I guess that's sort of the job of a poet is to put those sensations and thoughts into words to help evoke that experience. But it's, it's just interesting to see. Yeah. Wither will is sort of, he's, he's lofty, but it's almost like it's unfettered or it's, it's, it's not tied or grounded in reality. You know, he's sort of like up in the air you know, innocence when all was right with the world. And, and, you know, we'll see how that plays out in the future. And then Fitz Jimmons. Yeah, he has, or Fitz, Fitz James, Mr. Pajamas, <laughs> Mr. Pajamas has that more practical approach. He's like, well, you know, um, this is pleasant. And, you know, it, it makes me think of, you know, these smells evoke the image of, uh, how my, I think it was his grandmother or someone made uh, raspberry tarts for him. And so it was, I, he says, so I suppose I was actually thinking of raspberry tarts, which is really kind of a practical, down-to-earth, almost like sort of commonsensical approach to reality. And yet it kind of makes you wonder, and you call yourself a poet, you know, you're, like we have this idea of poetry or poets as trying to be flamboyant and, and to try to be over the top with their expressiveness and, and everything. And sure, sure. It's James is very, you know, understated and mild mannered and, and very practical. But, but, but you know what, you, you, you made me think of something. You made me think of something there. So, and let, let me be very clear. The, the great poets of centuries and millennia past, you know, that have uh, created some of the greatest poems and they're, their eloquence is unmatched, you know. I mean, uh, Dante's The Divine Comedy. It, it's mm. it's it's a poem, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Odyssey, I believe that's that's a poem. Correct me, is that right? The Odyssey is a poem. Yes, yeah. It's it's written in um, a, a type of uh, meter. I I can't remember what it was. If okay, like, but right. you know, so you have these basically sort of. I mean, they're they're stories. Right. But I mean, written as poems. So let, so let me not knock Dante or Homer or any of the great poets who, you know, have just such uh, ability to really bring a poem to, to life. That being mm. said, that being said, you know, in the story you have, you have Witherwill, right? Uh, that, that, that section, uh, let me quote it there that where you were talking about thoughts too deep for words. And he goes on to say, when I smell the rich perfume with which these trees have anointed themselves, I recollect the purity and innocence of childhood, that blissful time of life when we had not yet lost our unity with nature. You know, and then Fitzjames is just, hmm, you know. Uh, And I was thinking that sometimes, right, we think it has to be, you know, what we say has to be full of of big words, of eloquence, of things that people can't even comprehend without picking up the dictionary and figuring out what in the world people were saying when they used that particular word or phraseology. And Witherwell wants to sort of condemn 
Fitzjames for his lack of intensity in his, you know, nature expression or what he's interpreting. And I was thinking from scripture, the concept of the of the two people who go into the temple to pray, and you have the one who's, you know, you know, oh, forgive me for all the things that I've done. I've I've been good and I've done this and I've tithed and I've and I've prayed and I've done all the things right. And he's next to him is the one, you know, the, I think the tax collector I says, you know, he gets down, doesn't raise his head, beats his chest, and it's like, you know, forgive me a poor sinner. Mm-hmm. And and you know, the question is who is, you know, who is more kind of who's who's closer to God in that instance? Who is more forgiven? Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's the simple, honest, pure act that is greater than the large, boisterous, full of vigor, full of, you know, huge words that is actually what's better. So in this case, in the story, we have a very simple poet within Fitzjames. And he's no less a poet, regardless of what Witherwill says. You know, maybe Witherwill is less of a poet than Fitzjames, for all we know. But Witherwill wants to stand on his big, you know, soapbox of this is what nature conjures for me. And Fitzjames wants to have a raspberry tart. Yeah. Okay. Right. So be it. Right. You know. Right. So I, I couldn't help but sort of bring that out as you were talking and I was reading through that section. Right. He sees, he delights in the order, purpose, and practical application of what nature provides. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Fitzjames sees the beauty and delights in the goodness of the practical application of what nature provides. You know, nature provides tarts, or nature provides raspberries, excuse me, and and we can make raspberries into raspberry tart, which is a delightful thing. Whereas Witherwill, I think he's trying to be pure, a pure poet in that sense. He's trying to go, like you were saying, to the big, deep, extravagant issues, you know, talking about, oh, before the fall, when we lived with harmony with nature. And, and he's, I think he's striving for a higher level of um, experience of reality. But it's not to say that, like, uh, Fitz James's experiences any less um, because of that, like you were saying. Fitz James is just no. This is order, and I appreciate order and, and beauty and and the practical application of things, and that's good in of itself, you know. But it is. It's interesting how Witherwill has this overabundance of exuberance and is trying to. You know, reach down to his friend's level and sort of raise him up. As you were talking, Albert, I got the thought, you know, I wonder if Miss McIntyre uh, modeled these two poets off of Plato and Aristotle, because that's sort of the classic understanding of Plato and Aristotle is Plato is lofty and has all these high ideas and the world of intelligibility and subsistent forms. And Aristotle on the one hand is, no reality is as it is. And let's take that as our starting point, you know, and there's that famous, uh, I think it's a mosaic in the Vatican museums of, by Raphael of the, the school of Athens, where you've got, you know, Plato's pointing up and then Aristotle's pointing down, talking about the origin of, of ideas. But anyways, um, 
I digress. Well, we can take up uh, sacred art on another show. How about that? <laughs> Sounds great. Right. I think that's just kind of a a constant struggle. And I think it goes back to the other point that I was making, right? So we're we're at a we object to each other's opinions even though they're opinions and we cannot fully accept two different kinds of the same thing. You know, like I'm a poet, you're not a poet. But wait a second. I I can I can write verse, you know. I so my so my poems are about raspberry tarts, you know. So what? My poems are about pumpkin pie. So what? It's a poem, you know. You know, mm-hmm. it it could be, you know, technically exactly a poem, you know. It could be the perfect haiku, you know. Uh but if 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 it's a poem, it, it it's a poem. And if someone writes a lot of those pumpkin pie poems, then you know, they're a poet in their own right, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So the 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 thought that you know i can't have my own opinion because it doesn't agree with you and i can't be what i want to be as far as you know i want to be a poet i want to be uh, a writer you know i want to be uh i want to be a cook you know but all i can cook is i cook great rice and chicken okay mm. well you're a great cook of rice and chicken you know don't let anyone tell you can't be a great cook of rice and chicken so I just it feels like we, we we've so restricted our our view of you know being able to be something without someone saying like uh no no and and you and you can't say that by the way you know so I I I don't know what it'll take maybe it'll just be one of those constant sort of struggles that we go through you know that people like you know. Fitz James and Wither Will will just sort of exist. It sort of reminds me of some of the um, de- debaters, you know, like the like the strong Christian debaters versus the atheists or the agnostics. Some of them are, mm. you know, they have really great friendships, you know. Uh, but mm. but you know, the difference there is, you know, and I'm glad I said it because some of those really good uh, relationships, uh, they 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 respect e- each other. There's a respect yes. there for the other side, and. You, you you kind of see it in the with Bishop Robert Baird and some of the discussions he has with you know opposing sides. Like he doesn't mm. condemn the other side. You know no. there there there's a respect. There's an understanding. There's a human on the other side that's having this debate with me, this conversation. You know, and I've seen it from the other side as well. Like respect for the Christians from the atheistic side. You know, mm. and that that should be what we're striving for. Like the ability to yes. sort of exist, respect each other, say, okay, I'm going to listen to you. I have my belief. You have your belief. You know, now, right. you know, we won't turn this into a discussion of the truth of, of faith and the truth of Christian teaching. I just want to get the point across that we should be able to sort of at least respect each other in a way that we can communicate because it just seems like Witherwell doesn't even want to talk to Fitzjames, you know, in the story. Right. He's just like, I'll oh, forget it. You know, you right. don't get it, Fitzjames. And be like, well, he he does. You just don't want to talk to him. And Fitzjames is more than happy to talk to Witherwill. You can tell he's a very friendly fellow. Yes. Um, so, I, I I wish that I wish that there was more sort of happy, peaceful, you know, coexistence, just for the sake of you know a more peaceful humanity and the sake of communication. Mm-hmm. 
You're right. And that's a beautiful point that you bring out, Albert, about the sort of the culture, the current trend of culture. I think we've lost the art of civil uh, disagreement or civil argument, you know, and, and it just goes straight from, you know, I hate you. So there. (laughs) Right. I'm, I'm, you know, packing up my toys and I'm going home. Never want to see you again, you know, or, you know, and, and like, that's kind of beautiful in one sense. Like you were saying, I feel like Witherwill is sort of like that. He's like incredulous, but he's still walking with, uh, Fitz James, you know, he's still, they're still having that, um, sort of, uh, back and forth as they bounce around ideas. But, um, but then I think like you were saying, Witherwill gets a little bit zealous and wants to prove his point. And, uh, that's where the story takes on a really, um, uh, wonderful uh, turn, a humorous turn of events. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let, let, let's let's move on to the to the last part here. So where so where are we headed in the story? So uh, Witherwill gives this beautiful speech about the innocence and beauty of nature when they hear rustle in the bushes, right? And and then all of a sudden, there's a I believe it's a lion. Uh, uh it's a wolf. It, it's, it, a wolf. it's a wolf. Right. So they hear this rustle in the bushes and a sleek gray wolf comes out. And, uh, and interestingly enough, this is where it takes sort of on like a fairy tale uh, character to the story because the wolf starts to engage in the dialogue as well and is siding with Witherwill. And so he's, and uh, it's kind of has that, that, that element of, okay, well, we all know that wolves are predators, but then the wolf is, with eloquence of speech, uh, siding with Witherwill and and sort of playing into his game, but all the time, yeah. Anyways, maybe I should stop there and we can we can talk a little bit about that. But it's a um, it's a good intro for sort of us in our lives, right? You know, we we're all hyped up in something and we, and we see it. We, we finally see the great thing where we see the sort of culmination of what we've wanted. And it's just, Oh yes, finally. Yes, this is fantastic. And this is great. But sometimes, uh, maybe many times we're, we're a little too, we're a little too exuberant so much so that we get a little blinded. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's what happens here, you know, whether will, is so excited to have uh, this sort of magnificent uh, feat happening before him, you know, a, a wolf that's talking to him and is being as eloquent as he is and expressing, you know, nature in the kindest words and sort of, you know, siding against, you know, uh, Fitzjames, you know, and sort of staring back at Fitzjames, be like, no, you know, he doesn't get it. You're right, you know, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think we do that a lot, you know, we just, Hey, you know, great. I finally reached the, the, the great point of what I wanted to prove. Uh, but in this instance, and I'm not saying it's always, I'm not saying that it always turns out to be something sour or something bad. Sometimes we reach the great point that we've wanted and it's as great as it should be. But in this instance, uh, it turns out that the wolf was very much a wolf as they are portrayed in any other story and was just looking for an opportunity to lure out one of the unsuspecting poets for the sake of an easy meal. So uh, we see here in the story that uh, the wolf attempts to 
eat with her will. Uh, and he's trying to work it out and uh, one big whole bite. And uh, as it was, very sort of sleekly and calmly, uh, Fitzjames comes to the rescue and uh, dislodges with her will from the wolf. Who uh, <laughs> And then they both kind of sit there kind of stunned, you know, the wolf and uh, and with her will. But I, I really love kind of how it how it ends. Uh, with with Fitzjames, and then we'll come back and kind of I think dig into this. Um, where did blah, 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 blah. oh yeah, Fitzjames says, uh, "Careful, sir. Uh, the last thing my companion would want is for you to choke to death on a mouthful like that. He is so <laughs> fond of animals. <laughs> I lo- what a great way to just tie it all together. Yeah, what a great ending line." But you but know. you know here here's here's kind of the here's the point right so we get caught up in what we think is the greatest the best uh, the most wonderful thing and mm. we we commit ourselves completely to this ideal to this uh, action and we forget about sort of the reality, right? We sort of, mm. we, 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 we blind ourselves. Because under normal circumstances, yeah. I don't think anyone is going to just walk up to a wolf and treat it like a puppy. People are going to be defensive because we're sort of trained to know the wolf is wild. The wolf is not safe. The wolf is not domesticated. The wolf could attack you. The wolf could hurt you. The wolf could cause bodily harm. You could lose your life. So to get to a point with something that we would normally say, this is dangerous. Don't do that. You know, don't, don't stick your hand in the fire. You're going to burn yourself. Mm. And then to be so blinded that we just sort of forget. And we sort of cross into the threshold of danger and we risk our life. We risk even our soul, you know, in a moral issue. Uh, Mm. And this is what's happened in the story. We've seen Witherwill cross that line because he's he's blinded by his his grandeur of of nature. So he's like, oh, it's but it's a talking wolf, you know? What, right. Why why should I be afraid of a talking wolf? Well, because it's a wolf, right? You know, it's a wolf. It's not anything less than than, than a wolf. And again, I don't want to say that there's not room for change in the world. Please, I want I I I want to say that things can change but when we sort of just let down our guard and we just proceed without caution this is this is what can happen you know we we can we can be eaten by the wolf and many mm. times we are we are consumed by the wolf and the wolf tries to devour us completely and we're waiting for someone to save us right and Fitzjames comes to the rescue and saves him you know and in a very you know, cheeky way says, "Be careful, Sir Wolf." You know, I don't want uh, my, I don't want you to choke on my friend. You know, he'd be really worried about you. But, 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 you know, past the kind of sarcasm and cheekiness aside, you know, that was that. That's what we need a lot of times. We need a Fitzjames in our life to come and jab the wolf to free us from what we did because we were so caught up in our own world that we didn't see what we were doing. Right, right, and that's the classic sort of struggle and understanding I think we have as humans with our relationship with nature, you know, on one hand, nature gives us raspberries. 
On the other hand, nature has wolves. And like you were saying, Fitz, not Fitz James, but uh, Witherwill was trying to see past that and get at the inkling that there's this disorder in nature that things aren't as they should be in this state. He wanted to get at a more pure form of existence. But the fact of the matter is that form of existence doesn't exist at this point, you know, not until maybe, you know, put a theological spin on it, you know, not until the the new heavens and the new earth. But, you know, things are and things act according to their nature, you know, and when you were talking about the wolf flattering him and just so that he could get a, a meal, I couldn't help but think of Little Red Riding Hood, you know, and, and they're in a forest and right, the, the, right. the wolf is like doing classic wolf, you know, liter, liter, uh, literary wolf actions. And so I just, I found that really humorous and what a great lesson to, uh, to learn from it. Like you were saying, we all get caught up in that one thing, that one big idea that, that just polarizes all of our, uh, attentions and, and, and energies. And then we realize, oh, well, it wasn't what we thought it was, or as you were also mentioning, it was downright dangerous. And I, I love the way how Fitz James in the story is so consistent with his character. It's such a short story, but the, the character development is, is really, uh, is really great. You know, he's just, he's, you know, very concerned with the practical, very calm. He's, you know, checking his walking stick to make sure that it, uh, you know, didn't have any chips in it. I can just see him like kind of being more preoccupied with checking his walking stick while at the same time, just having saved his friend from certain death, you know, you know, and just like, Oh, careful there, sir. You know, right. <laughs> just very right. even keeled, you know, where I could see like the rest of the conversation somehow going about wither will just sort of like having existential, you know, reflections on his life having just about ended, you know, (laughs) anyways. You know, I was trying to sort of generalize because the wolf can be any number of things, you know? Yes. Mm. Okay. The wolf, we can obviously just easily say the wolf is bad. The wolf signifies evil. The wolf signifies temptation. The wolf signifies danger, you know, a lot Mm -hmm. of negative things, you know, but you know, we can obviously say there's a lot of other things in life that can be representative of the wolf the the pursuit of power the pursuit of money the uh the pursuit you know we can even get caught up in our own pursuit of happiness while happiness is a good thing Mm. our pursuit of it depending on how we get there right you know it's like Mm. oh well i need to load up on drugs because i feel happy when i do drugs it's like well the drugs are the wolf right you know Mm -hmm. you kind of got caught up in there you know but there's a lot of wolves out there right that oh, yeah. want that want to convince us that they are a good thing. It's like, oh yeah, I'm on your side. This is right. Yeah, you know, let's do this together. Come with me. You know, so the wolf is everywhere. The wolf is everywhere. And as I said before, really, like we really do need like a Fitzjames. And 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 from our from our Christian beliefs that you and I have, like. You know, Jesus Christ is our Fitzjames, you know, he's Mm. just kind of always there, always calm, you know, and waiting to just jab the wolf, you know, as if, if we, if we, you know, if we're asking for help, you know, he'll be right there to help us get away from the wolf, to heal us from the wolf. And so I, I, I like, you know, and 
that may not have even been anything that Kelsey McIntyre was trying to accomplish, but I mm. can see that in a very clear way that the wolf is everywhere, but so is, but so is, so is Christ as long as we keep him with us, you know? So it was, you know, luckily Witherwill had a friend like Fitzjames, mm. you know? So Fitzjames was going to exist wherever he was, but luckily Witherwill had him with him, you know, and Witherwill was ready. Uh, Fitzjames was ready to defend him. So, you know, much, much like we should hopefully keep Jesus close to us so that we can be ready for for the wolf when we are blinded by our own, we'll just say, sort of ambition, you know, for mm-hmm. lack of better words. Right. Right. That, that we all have a Fitzjames in our life that can be Jesus and he saves us from the wolves out there. It's true. And I, I like that, that the tale is also delivers that lesson sort of there are going to be wolves in sheep clothing, so to speak. They're going to flatter us and they're going to appear as something that they are not and offer us what we think may might make us happy. But then in the end, you know, they either fall short or like you were saying, become just downright dangerous. And so, yeah, at that point, yeah, when we're stuck in the wolf's mouth, you know, I think there was actually an old um, Latin phrase that said, uh, I forget how it goes in Latin, but it's basically, I have the wolf by the ears. You know, if you think about that, like being in that situation, you have a wolf by the ears. <laughs> That's not a situation that you'd want to be in, you know. Right, but, um, right. But beautiful. Well, thank you, Albert. Would you want to wrap it up? Sure, sure. So I think our, you know, our takeaways here are that two people should find, you know, two people, groups of people. I, I think we'd like to find ways to sort of coexist in a more peaceful way. You know, Wither Will and Fitzjames could stand to do a little improving in their friendship, you know, mm. and maybe after the wolf incident, maybe it did, you know, who who knows? It's a fictional story, but we can imagine, we can make it what we would like it to be. And that uh, we have to be clear in our in our thoughts and we have to be true in our thoughts and not not to not to dissuade anyone from having great thoughts you know like mm. it, it, if you were to walk into the Sistine Chapel and this may be a cop out answer right but if you were walking into the Sistine Chapel and you were just caught up in the grandeur of the of the paintings that are all over the Sistine Chapel well yeah you you should be, mm. you know, you, you should be at a loss of words. You know, they, it should be too deep for words that that's okay. Right. That's not a bad thing, you right. know, but if there's a huge chasm that exists in the Sistine Chapel floor and you're not paying attention, you know, for all of the grandeur, you could still fall to your death. So, <laughs> so right. the, the, the point is really is like, it's not about trying to squelch people from having grand thoughts of anything that's potentially great and good, but we have to have sort of uh, reason. We have to have control. Mm. We have to have the ability to, you know, have a good head on our shoulders and not, and not fall into the wolf's den, you know? Mm. Uh, So I'd like to just imagine that, you know, we can sort of take away from this that, yeah, okay, have your thoughts, have your opinions, have your views, but not so much that you're going to end up hurting yourself or maybe others in the end, you know? Mm. So, and, you know, 
I think, you know, we, I said in one of our, in our other, in our other talks that, you know, about kindness, it was when we were talking about the lion and the mouse, you know, if, mm. if, if, if everyone, if everyone did one act of kindness, you know, in the world, a, a day, how different the world would be. If we could all sort of learn to sort of respect each other and dialogue and communicate, again, mm. I think that would be of great benefit to the world. Uh, and and we all might be able to help each other avoid the wolf, you know, like we can all sort of be Jesus to our brothers and sisters, you know, in, in a way, if if we allow ourselves to be open to dialogue and open to communication. So yeah, it just uh, it, it's it's a great story. It really is, and uh, I, I would hope that those maybe who have listened to it maybe listen to it uh, again and give it a, you know give it a time to maybe meditate upon what's going on in in the story. And uh, as Michael said in the beginning, you can go to our website waobaudiotheater.org. And uh, door-to-door storytellers is where you'll find it, or should also be in our all-for-one stories. Or you can go to our YouTube channel for We Are One Body Audio Theater and look up the two poets there. And like I said, there's one with sound effects, one without sound effects. But either way, I hope that uh, yeah, uh, that everyone will take a listen to it. I think it's a really enjoyable story and really another great story by 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 Kelsey McIntyre. Yes, go go listen to it. Um, and enjoy. And hopefully our conversation has helped enhance your experience as well and pondered a little bit of the deeper meaning behind the story. And thank you, Albert, for your insights and time and uh, chatting with me about this short story, Two Poets by Kelsey McIntyre. Thanks for joining Albert and yours truly, Michael, here today at the Table of Content. Have a good day.